bold because if we want to accomplish the things that God has called us to accomplish as individuals and together as a church, what is it gonna require of us? It's gonna take you and me, it's gonna take all of us to be bold because if we want to see more souls saved, we're gonna have to be bold. If we wanna see more marriages be restored, it's gonna take us being bold. If we're gonna see more answers to God-sized dreams and prayers, it's gonna require us to be bold. If we wanna see more souls saved, destinies altered, generations with your last name never look the same, if we wanna see a gospel, centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change. What is it going to take of us? It's going to require us to be bold. If we're going to buy, purchase, renovate, demo, and move into this new building that we bought, it's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen by chance. It's not going to come without consequence. It's going to require you and me to be Bold, And so that's what we're looking at today. And it is not without exaggeration that I believe that what we are studying and talking about and the decisions and commitments that are going to be made over the next few weeks literally have the potential to transform and change our church, not just for the next year, not for the next five years, but what you're doing today has the impact that's going to last 20 years into the future. In 20 years, there's going to be people who are being blessed because of your boldness today. That whenever you step out in faith, whenever you take risk, whenever you're bold, it has a ripple effect that goes on for years and years to come. Who knows, in 20 years, your grandchildren could be being baptized in that new building. You're like, but I don't even have kids yet. You will have kids, and they're going to have kids, and then you're going to have a generational impact. There's going to be people, their addictions will be broken. You don't even know their name yet, but God knows their name, and God in eternity past has ordained them to be able to step into these doors to to be saved and healed and forgiven and to be have their sins wiped as far as the east is to the west and it's our boldness that is going to be their blessing and they're going to benefit from the boldness that you have today you know when I think about the future if you're taking notes write this down this is the thought that's guiding this series today is that the future belongs to the bold they don't write history books about people who played it safe, right? We don't study them in college about people who lived by the rules or followed conventional wisdom. You know, whenever we think about the people that inspire us or motivate us, the, the people who, who we want to model our lives after, it's not based upon those who lived in their comfort zones, but no, it's those who risked everything, who took a chance, who in the face of insurmountable odds said, I'll take those odds, and they lived their life with, with boldness. And biblically speaking, the, the same is true, that God always asks us to live by faith and to step out in boldness. So think about men of the Bible, like, like Abraham. God said, you're gonna be the father to a nation, even though he was 99 and he did not have any children, but yet still, he stepped out in boldness. I so think about Noah, whenever God said, hey, build an ark in the middle of the desert, and it had never rained before. He looked a little crazy building that ark. I think about Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. The boldness that he had to have to stand in front of the Red Sea and then to hold 
out the staff and watch the sea part. I think about the boldness of men like David with just a few stones and a slingshot was able to slay the giants. I think about the boldness that it required of Paul to be able to stand in the face of the emperor and to preach the gospel and to plant churches. And whenever they said, we're going to kill you, he said, bring it on because I will not deny my Lord and Savior. And he continued to preach the gospel. I think about the men and the women of the Bible, like Esther, who stands in front of the king and she, on behalf of her people, delivers the nation from certain death. I think about the boldness that it takes and God expects us, God commands us, God empowers us in the same way as he did in the past. He will do the same thing in our lives today so that way we can see the future that God has for us. The bold are the ones who the future belongs to. And so the goal of this series is to inspire you to be bold. Last week we looked at the boldness of two men named Peter and John that in Acts chapter four, they're arrested. The church is at a crossroads. What are we gonna do? We have a promise, but we also have a problem. What was the promise? In Acts chapter one, God said, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The promise is that the gospel would go forth for generations to come. And holding on to that promise, they went up into the upper room. They had a prayer meeting and they began to pray and pray and pray. And God sent the Holy Spirit that filled them up and the church was born on that day. 3,000 people were saved and baptized in Acts chapter two. The church is growing. The church is moving forward. Everybody's having a good time. Next Steps is packed every first Sunday of the month, which also happens to be today, by the way. Come hang out with us at Next Steps. First Wednesday prayer nights, man, they were powerful, by the way. This week's first Wednesday prayer night. So want to see you there. Be like the church in Acts chapter two. They're gathering. They're praying. They're believing. They're living on a purpose. They're holding on to the promise of God. People are getting saved everywhere, left and right and then all of a sudden they're arrested beaten thrown into prison and the religious leaders and the roman government they say if you keep preaching the gospel we will kill you so they get out of prison and they have a decision to make are we going to hold on to the promise or are we going to focus on the problems? Are we going to go back to Acts chapter 2 or are we going to move forward into what God has for us? They had a problem so they gathered together and last week we looked at the bold prayers of two men, James or John and, and Peter and here's what we saw, that as they began to pray, God answered their prayers by giving them what? Boldness. And they continued to preach the gospel. And so last week, we looked at bold prayers. And this week, we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And we're going to focus in on the boldness, not of, uh, of Peter and John, but the boldness of a man named Barnabas. Last week, we saw how to pray bold prayers. This week, we're going to be bold like Barnabas when it comes to our giving. So let me go ahead and read this section up front. The sermon title today is called Learn How to Be Bold with Your Giving because the future belongs to the bold. Here's what we see in verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed, they were of one heart and soul. And no one said that they had anything that belonged to them was their own, but they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. I want to pause right there. That word great grace, whenever you see that word great in the Bible, in the Greek, it means megas, which means that there is a supernatural 
supernatural element that is involved with it. So whenever Jesus was calming the storm, it says there was a great storm. It was a mega storm. It was beyond natural. It was a supernatural effect. There was a great grace. That means the grace that they're experiencing is a supernatural move of God upon their church. Redemption, I believe that right now. We are living in a supernatural move of God. The grace of God is in extraordinary measures upon our church right now. I mean, just hearing testimonies of coming out of this fast, how God is already beginning to move in the lives of people. Whenever I I hear stories and testimonies about how God is blessing people when it comes to their generosity and to their tithes, when I look at the growth of our church, the fact that we're up about 30% since January in attendance, and today at our next steps, we already have 20 people RSVP'd. That means that we will have grown our serve team by over 50 people just in the last two months as a church there is a great grace that is upon us whenever I think about the generosity that is happening I told you the story about a pastor from Arkansas who was just driving by and he sat in one of our services and I made a joke about hey if you don't like the chairs give me ten thousand dollars we'll buy new chairs and God put on his heart to write a check to give us ten thousand dollars on that Sunday whenever I think about the grace that there was a person watching from North Carolina last week in our sermon and he was watching and listening and as I was preaching about the vision of the church, God laid it upon this man to give us $2,500 towards the new building. When I think about the move of God that we are experiencing, just the fact that there's already been 10 people who have signed up for baptisms the week after Easter, I just get so fired up. We are experiencing a great grace of God upon us as a church, but that's next week's sermon. Come back next week. This week, we're talking about bold giving. And here's what we see at this great grace that was upon them. Here's how it happened. It says, there was not a needy person for owners were selling of their land and houses. They sold them and the proceeds was sold, was laid at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to any had need. Verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Last week, we looked at how to pray bold prayers like Peter and John. This week, we're going to focus in on how to be bold with our giving like this guy named Barnabas. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're like, oh yeah, here comes the money pitch. I get you, I understand. Preaching on tithing and generosity, it can be a little awkward because there's a negative connotation that is attached to it. And I'll be honest with you, for the first several years of being a Christian, I felt very similar to the way that many people perceive giving. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna, I wanna tell my story and then I wanna help you be able to take your next steps when it comes to giving. Because I used to think that way and then God did a work in my heart and he changed the way that I view the subject of generosity. And so here's how I actually learned how to give. To be honest, first, first three years of being a Christian, I never gave anything. I got saved at the age of 20. Me and Ashley, we got married at 22, and we were broke college kids, and we were waiting tables for the first several years of our marriage. I believe the first year that we were married, we actually made a combined total income of $18,000, all right? Like that's, that's where we're at. We were, I say we were poor. We were, we were, we were so poor, we couldn't afford the, the R. We were po, like we were po. Maybe that's why our church logo is an R these days. I don't really know, all right? But 
we were so, I, we found our couch on the side of the road. Like that's, that's where we were at. We also had bed bugs, so <laughs> maybe that's the reason why. We lived in a little 400 square foot apartment. I mean, we were poor. And whenever it came time to give at church, I always considered taking money out of the plate, but I never considered putting money back in the plate. Hey, don't lie in church. You know you thought about it a couple times too, right? And, and so I, I'm in this church and I, I love my church. I, I got saved to this church. I, I got baptized. Me and Ashley both were baptized in this church. And um, the preacher, he, he preached fiery messages straight from the Bible. I mean, the worship was incredible. The coffee was okay, but that's not why I went to church anyway. And the people were great. I was in a small group and I, I just, I loved my church. And one day as I'm sitting there in worship, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to, to speak in my heart. He asked me this. He said, Byron, do you love your church? I said, yes, Lord, I love my church. And then he asked me this profound question. He says, then why don't you give to your church? And I thought this. I said, why don't you mind your own business, God? How dare you convict me in church? But, you know, conviction is his business, amen? And so I'm sitting there and I'm convicted and I'm, I'm beginning to wrestle with God and justify the reason that I am excused from being generous. And I thought, well, there's other people who make more money than we do. There's other people who have jobs and they have families and houses and careers. You know, we, you know, we live on a very modest income and you know, any money that I get, it either goes to bills or it goes to college or I use it to buy cigarettes, true story. <laughs> And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, God, I mean, after everything's gone, I have nothing left over. And, you know, and, and so I'm justifying and, 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 and I'm excusing myself from being generous towards the church. And then God just asked me again. He said, do you love your church? To which I said, yes. He said, then I want you to start giving to your church. But I didn't have enough faith to give. So I went back to my grandmother's house and I said, okay, God has laid on my heart to begin giving. How do I do that? And she said, baby, there's a, there's a thing called a tithe. And I said, tithe, that's like, that's like 10. I could give $10. Yeah, I could totally do that. She said, no, it's not a, it's not a $10. It's a, it's a tithe. It's, it's 10% of your, of your income, first and best, given to the Lord. And I thought, God wants 10% of my money? Right? He's God. Can he go get his own money? Why does it kind of come bother me about my money? And I just, that's my thought. And so I obviously had the same mindset that many people have when it comes to giving within a church. And so I followed that conviction. I went home to Ashley and I said, okay, we're going to make a plan and we're going to start giving. But I didn't have enough faith to tithe. So I said, whatever I make on my first cut Saturday lunch shift, that's what I'm going to give to God. First cut Saturday lunch, if you ever worked at a restaurant, you know, you basically just show up, roll silverware and go home. It was the worst shift of the week. And here's what the Bible says, give God your best. And I only had enough faith to give God my worst. And so I gave God my worst shift of the week. But how many of you know, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. So that Sunday, I, I, that, that Saturday, I go into work and it is the craziest busy day. It's like every person woke up and decided to go to Chili's on the same day. And they all came in, and that, that Saturday, I kid you not, I made over $100 in tips, right? And so I go back to Ashley, and I'm like, baby, I made $100. And she says, you mean God made $100? And I said, why are you the way that you are? I said, this is not God's money. This is my money. She said, Ashley, uh, she said, By Byron, you made a deal with God. And you know what happens when you don't keep your end of the bargain? You get struck by lightning. <laughs> it's in the Bible somewhere, right? I mean, God smites people, right? 
And, and so she's like, well, if you're not going to give it, I'm not going to church because I don't want that place to burn down. All right. So, so, so we went to church the next day and I'm sitting there in worship and I got my hundred dollars in my, in my palm. I'm holding on to it like this. All right. And, and the plate starts coming and I look down and I see the plate coming. I turn and look at Ashley and she's just smiling. She's like, I've always wanted to marry a generous man. And so She's looking, and I'm seeing the plate come. It's getting closer, and I look at Ashley. She's still smiling. I turn and look. The plate's closer. I look, and she's not smiling anymore because she knows what I'm thinking. I'm not going to do it, and she gives me the look, right? You know the look, and so I turn back. My palms are sweaty, right? My stomach is in knots. I'm just, I'm like, oh, if I give this, I'm going to die. I'm not going to pay my bills, right? I'm going to lose my apartment. They're going to like, I, just, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, and so the plate comes by, and I look over, and I'm like, Two, four, six, eight. Hold your nose. Here it goes. Drop it in the plate. It goes by. <gasps> I'm okay. There you go. I didn't die. <laughs> you know. You know what happened that day? Nothing. Absolutely nothing happened. I didn't lose my apartment. I didn't miss a meal. We didn't miss a bill. Nothing happened. Everything that I was worried about happening for not giving actually didn't even happen. But something did happen. My heart changed. In that moment, as soon as I dropped that money in the plate, my heart, when it comes to giving, changed. I didn't have enough faith to tithe. And so God, he actually had me give beyond the tithe for my first time in giving. And all of a sudden, I realized that that God is going to provide and take care. As long as I take care of him, then he's going to take care of me. And my heart began to change. Actually, my heart and love for the church continued to grow. How did it start? God asked me, do you love your church? I said, yes. But then he showed me an area where I was not loving nor growing in my love for the church. And the moment I placed that gift in the offering, my heart for the church began to grow. And here's what happened. Actually, I started serving and volunteering in that church. I started going to the prayer meetings at the church. In that prayer meeting, God called me into full-time pastoral ministry. I was trained as a pastor under that church and under that preacher. I got in a small group. That church sent me to plant a church in Houston. And then we moved to New York. And then we moved here. And I can honestly tell you that Redemption Church would not exist if it wasn't for 15 years ago, me learning how to give. Because my heart for the church, the mission of God, and my love for the God changed that day. What happened? Nothing happened. But at the same time, everything in my life began to change because I learned to give. Here's the other thing I learned how to give. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's a joy to be generous. Right? It is so joyful to be generous. You ever hung out with a, a greedy person? They don't seem to be very happy. You ever spend time with a, a stingy person? They, they, they just complain and gripe and grumble about everything. But ever you surround yourself with a generous person, they are a joy to be around. They make you laugh. They're happy. You want to be in their presence because they change the environment of a room when they walk in because they know that it is a joy to be generous. Scientifically, this is true as well. Generous people live longer. Generous people have better health. Generous people are more emotionally and mentally healthy as well. Generous people, they make better financial decisions. Generous people have stronger marriages. They have more well-adjusted children. Generous people all across the board have better health, heart health, mental health, physical health. Generous people, they just have a better life, a better quality of life because it is a joy to be generous. And if you give science enough time, eventually, Eventually, it catches up with what the Bible's been saying for thousands of years. 
Because the Bible tells us that it is a joy whenever we are generous. Just listen to some of these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 through 7, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. You want to make God joyful? Be joyful when it comes to your giving. God just gets excited whenever his children give because God loves a cheerful giver. We read this in Acts 20, 35. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Jesus teaches this. So whenever I'm challenging you to give, it's not my words. This is Jesus' words. These are words straight from the mouth of the Lord and Savior himself. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You don't believe me? That's fine. But if you don't believe me, you don't believe what Jesus has to say about the subject because Jesus himself says it is blessed to give than it is to receive. Proverbs eleven twenty four. Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived in the history of the world. Here's what he said. When I survey life, here's what I read. One gives freely and grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and he only suffers once. Proverbs says, hey, generous people, they experience more health, more wealth, more happiness, more wisdom, more joy. Their, larger, their world gets larger and larger, but those who live with a closed fist, they don't experience the blessings of God in their life. And then we see the portrait of the gospel in John three sixteen. This is the message of the gospel. How generous is our God? John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but they shall have eternal life. The gospel is a gospel of giving. We give our sin to Jesus, he gives us eternal life. That's a good deal, amen? That we give him our worst and he gives gives us his best. That we give him ourselves and God gives us his son, Jesus, because there's no one more generous than our God is. That every good and perfect gift that we have comes down from the Father of lights above. He is generous, he is good, he loves us, he cares for us, he provides for us, he takes care of us. God is the most generous giver that there is and we believe in a gospel that saves us and it is precedented and predicated upon the generosity of God. And so do you want to be like God? Then you need to be generous. You're never more like God than when you are generous and God is the most happy and the most joyful, which means when we give, we experience the joy that comes from God. It is a joy to be generous. And so I want to encourage you, just like Barnabas. What does Barnabas' name mean? The son of encouragement. How did he get that name? Because of his generosity to the church. I want to look at Barnabas, and I want, to, I want to help you, because right now I know a few things, is that when it comes to the journey of generosity, we're all at different paths. See, I had, to, I had to learn how to be generous. For some people, it comes natural. It is normal for them, but that's not me. For me, generosity is not a gift. To me, generosity is actually a discipline. It's something that I had to learn how to do. When I started, I didn't have enough faith to tithe, but God took me along on a journey. So here's what I want to do. I want to take you along on a, on a journey towards generosity. And I'm going to show you that there are four different types of givers. So the first type of giver is what we will call this, a, a, a never giver. A never giver. Now, some of you would say, oh, I don't know any never givers. Well, statistically, one out of four Christians don't give anything to the local church per year. 25% or so, give or take, 
are never givers. So there's a, a couple reasons why some people might be a, a never giver. Okay, one reason a person might be a never giver is because you're not even a Christian yet. That's a good reason to be a never giver. If you're not a Christian, hey, we don't want you to give anything. All of this is our gift to you. We wanna, we wanna give you the gospel. We wanna give you a Bible. We wanna give you an opportunity to respond to the message of Jesus. We wanna give you a community to find hope and freedom and, and form relationships. Hey, all of this is our gift to you. We don't expect you to give if you're not a believer. No, all of this is our gift to you. Another reason you may be a, a never giver is because it's because you're new to the church. Listen, giving takes trust. And you might be coming here two weeks, three weeks, maybe a few months, and, and you believe in giving, you know the joy of giving, but you're still trying to build trust with us. Because you wanna make sure that when you give to something, it's gonna serve a purpose, and it's gonna get a great return on that investment. And so that might be a reason. I know one person who they came to our church for about three to four months, and they never gave. And then they finally went to Next Steps. They decided redemption's gonna be my home. And on that next Sunday, they came in with a $17,000 check because they've been sitting on their tithe for over six months, waiting to know if there's a church that they could trust that they could invest in. That might be a reason why some people are, are never givers. Another reason a person may be a never giver is because you have never been taught. Nobody ever taught you how to give. You know, in the church, we teach a lot of things. We teach how to read the Bible. We teach you how to pray. We teach you how to, how to share your faith. We teach you leadership. We teach you serving. And all of these different discipleship methods, the church is really good at teaching. But you know, there's one discipleship method that the church doesn't teach on very well is generosity. We just leave that to the Lord. You know, the first three years of our church, I never taught on giving. I was just like, you know, God's just gonna lay it on people's hearts. And apparently God did not lay it on anybody's hearts to give. But then we introduced the concept of giving and generosity and tithing and people began to experience the freedom and the joy of generosity in their life. And so that's one reason you've, you've never give. And then another reason some people never give is because, well, they just don't love God. You say, well, that's just not true. I love God. Okay, great. Now, let's just put in an illustration. If I told you that I love my daughter, but I never gave to her, is that loving? If I said, oh, baby, I love you, but no birthday, no Christmas, and I make her sleep outside because I don't want to pay the electricity for my family, is that, is that loving? No, no, giving is the essence of loving. And if you say you love God and you give nothing, then you're a liar. I know that's really strong, so I'm going to say it again. If you say you love God and you give nothing to the things of the Lord, then you are a liar. Or nobody ever taught you how to give. Who wants to go with the second option? And so we're going we're gonna to teach you how to give. The first thing is this, is, is that there are never givers. It's the first step. But I'm going to need my, my, my boy Jay to give me a hand. Everybody, let's just give it up for Jay. Here's... The second step, we would call these people are something givers. Turn it the other way. Is that it? Where'd it go? There we go. So we're going to call these people are something givers, right? Something is better than nothing though, right? I mean, these are the people that, you know, they're going to put something in. 
Maybe they're gonna put $5 here, $10 there, maybe $20, $50. Maybe if the sermon's really good, they might put an extra 20 on top of it. You know, when the plate's passing, they pull out their wallet to see what they have, and all they get is a 20 and a five, and so they give the five, right? So it's the something givers. They give something, and something is better than nothing, and I will agree with you, something is better than nothing, but here's where we find is that about 70% of Christians are actually right here. They're, they're something givers. They give something, and they're not intentional behind their giving. They're not planned when it comes to their giving. They don't have conviction or commitment when it comes to their giving. It's more sporadic. It's more spontaneous. And about 70% of American Christians are something givers. The average Christian gave about 2% of their income to the local church last year, 2%. What is that? That's a something giver. 70% of the church in America is right here. And I'll just tell you, it's better to give something than nothing, but God wants better for you than just something. God has more in store for you, and here's where God wants to take you to. God wants to lead you to this place right here. It's called, it's called a tithe. So we're gonna step from something to tithe givers. What's a tithe? A tithe is 10% first and best given to the Lord. That's what a tithe is. It's, it's 10%. And I was thinking about it. When I looked it up this week, only about 10% of the local church actually practices the tithe. 10%. But statistically, 60% of a church's ministry comes from 10% of the people's giving. So those who tithe make up 60% of the ministry that happens in a local church, those who, who tithe. And so I was thinking about it this week when it comes to our, our new building. As we're renovating and purchasing this new building, here's some things that I was talking to the general contractor about. When we first bought the building, we we're looking at about $80 to $90 per square foot. So the grand total project would have been about $1.4 million. But as the increase of costs and labor and you know, plywood and all of the things that go into it, with the inflation, we've gone up to about $125. Some places are even estimating higher. So it's looking like our new building is gonna cost us about $2.5 million in renovations. That's why we're raising funds. We're preaching vision. We're trying to encourage generous giving for you to be bold in your giving. But one thing that I noticed is this. If we all just practiced taking that step from something to tithing, here's what we would see. Our church runs about 500 people on, uh, as, a, as a members and congregation. And so if we were to take the 500 people who call Redemption Home and we were to look at the average per median income in Beaumont is $29,000 and there were a times that by the 500 people who call Redemption Home, our tithe would be $1.45 million a year as a budget. You know what our budget's set at right now? 540,000. That's the bare minimum that it takes for us to do ministry here at Redemption, $540,000, bare minimum. We set a lot of money aside for savings. We're planning to do things with the building, but 540. But if we all just learned how to tithe, then we wouldn't have to do a building campaign to raise resources. Because God has already given us everything we need to be successful in the vision and the ministry that he has given us. God has already supplied the opportunity and he has given us the means to be able to accomplish it if all we would do is learn to take a step from something givers to tithers. Yes. 
What would our church look like if 70% of people who gave something would agree today, I'm gonna take that next step and I am just going to begin tithing. What could we do with this amount of resources in a church? We could do anything that we wanted. We could pay cash for this new building. We could move in and less than a year renovate it. We could be able to see souls saved. We could see every seat be filled with somebody with your last name. We could see the altars be filled. We could have a baptism that never runs dry. We could support every single local ministry here, the Hope Center, 17 times over. We could fully fund every single missionary within South Texas. We could, we, we could, what could we do? Question is, what couldn't we do? We could do anything. God has already given us the funds and the resources to be able to accomplish the mission and the vision that he has set before us. If all we would do is take a step from something to being intentional behind our giving and be a tither. But this is not where God has us. You know, God always has a next step for us as a church. Amen. Because here's what's interesting is that we go from tithing and here's what God desires of us to be bold when it comes to our giving, to, to go above and beyond when it comes to our generosity. See, look, tithing is not generous. You know why? Because tithing is a command. Tithing is just you being obedient. You just giving back to God what already belongs to him. You can't give a tithe. You bring a tithe. But when you go beyond the tithe, when you step up and you get to experience the joy of generous giving and boldness, this is what God desires of you. He wants for you to be bold when it comes to your giving. And those who tithe, they will tell you, this is the best place to live. Because out of the people who do tithe, according to the state of the plates, Barna research in 2019, 77% uh, of people who tithe actually give more than 10%. Because they've learned that you can't outgive God. I've tried for 15 years to outgive him. I have yet to succeed. Every time I step out in faith, God meets me in that moment because God will not owe a man anything. You can't outgive God. The more you give, the more he blesses you. The more you, the more you serve him, the more he tends to you. The more you trust him, the more resources that he will give back to you. Some people are faithful with little and God grants to them much because you can't outgive God. And if you don't believe me, give it a shot. Come on. I guarantee you can't outgive God. I'll even make you a deal. 90 days. For the next 90 days, would you consider tithing for 90 days? And at the end of the 90 days, if you look me in the eye, say, Pastor Byron, I have been giving for 90 days, tithing, trusting God, and my life is not more fulfilled. My heart and love for the church has not grown. I have not seen God work in my life, and I think this is bunk. I'll give you your money back. If today you would say, I'm going to trust God with my tithe. That's how much I believe in it. Because you will learn that you cannot, it is impossible, you cannot outgive God. Every person who tithes would tell you that because they know the joy that comes from bold giving. And so what are we going to do, Redemption? We're going to move from never givers to what? to something givers. But this is not where God wants us. He wants us to move to the tithe and to trust him and step up and be bold. That's right. And be bold when we give. So what type of giver are you? Where are you at when it comes to your journey of generosity? Because I believe in the same way for my life, 
and in Barnabas' life is that this is the one thing that could change everything, not just in the church, but also for you. Let's give it up for Jay. There we go. So, so here's what I want to do now. I want to, I want to just zoom in and I want to look at six truths that every bold giver will tell you. When it comes to being bold, here's what those who are bold with their giving, this is what Barnabas would tell you. He would tell you the first thing is this, is that God is the owner and I am the manager. Right, whose money is it? It's not ours, it's actually God's. It's God's money and he is trusting us to be able to manage his money while we're here. Look what the Bible says. It says, there was, uh, it says here, it says Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell within it. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. So whose money is it? It's, it's, it's God's money. There's three ways for you to view money. The first way you can view it is what's mine is mine. That's a selfish mentality. The other way you could view it is what's yours is mine. That's how the government thinks. <laughs> and two-year-olds. <laughs> kind of think of it. Maybe there's a lot of like two-year-olds in office somewhere, all right? They think, oh, that's yours, that's, that's mine. That's stealing. But then there's another way that's what's mine is really his. That's called stewardship. That God is trusting us with his resources to be able to allocate them in a way that is going to get the maximum amount of investment for the kingdom of God. So whenever it comes to money, pull out your debit card this week and instead of your name, cross it out and then write Jesus because every time you swipe your card, what you're doing is you are using God's money. Now, does God care for you? Yes, God wants you to provide for your family. He wants you to buy groceries. He wants you to pay your rent. He wants you to pay your bills. In fact, he wants to pay your rent with his money so that way you can live a joyful, generous life. Got to think about it like this, like God is the owner. So where I put God's money, which leads to number two, is where my heart goes. My heart always goes where I put God's money. Listen, you care about the things that you invest in. There is a string that goes from your wallet to your heart. You know how I know? Because every time you pull out your wallet to make a big purchase, oh, it hurts. You're like, oh, it hurts, right? Because because there, there is a direct correlation from our treasure to our heart. Jesus says it like this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also where your treasure is. So here's the big idea, is if you follow the money, you'll find your heart. Do you wanna realize what you love? Well, pay attention to where you spend your money. Pay attention to where you invest at. And that's where you find that you love the most. Because if you wanna find where your love is, all you gotta do is follow where your money goes. Because you give to the things that you love and then you give value to the things that you find value in. My heart always goes where I put God's God's money. And so if you want to grow in your love for the church, start giving to the church. If you want to grow in your heart for missions, hey, how about you take a step in investing in missionaries? If you want to grow in your heart to reach the lost, start giving to the initiatives and to the efforts of the church to be able to facilitate and meet those needs because your heart always goes where you put God's money. The third thing is this, is I'm not going to take it with me, but I can send it on ahead. I love what they said to J.D. Rockefeller after he died. He was the richest man who'd ever lived. His value was about $16 billion back in like the 1800s. And they asked his accountant after he died, he said, how much money did Rockefeller leave behind? You know what the answer was? All of it, because you can't take it with you. They don't put U-Hauls on the back of a hearse. When you're dead, 
It's gone. Right? You can't take it with you. You come into this world with nothing, you leave this world with nothing, but you can send it ahead. Jesus says it like this, do not lay up for yourselves, what? Treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasures that are in heaven. Do you know the only thing that you can take with you when you're gone is? People. The only thing you will bring to heaven is the, is the people that you meet here in this world. The gospel continuing to move forward. That's what matters most. There is only one life, as the poet said, will soon be passed, but only that which is done for Christ is that which will last. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And here's what Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us that no one who gives and and gives up their houses, mothers, brothers, sisters, and fathers or land for my sake will not inherit 10 times in this life and in the life to come. What is that? That is an investment that whenever you give to God in his hands, it is blessed and touched by eternity and it multiplies in this life and in the life to come. You know what that is? That is a 10,000% return on your investment. Every dollar you give is multiplied by the Lord for the kingdom. And here's what we say, is that we don't give just because it's the right thing to do. We also give because it's the smart thing to do. It's just smart to be generous and it's smart to give to others. It's not just that it's the right thing to do, but it is also smart for us to do so. For us to be able to think into the future. Financial investors, advisors, they'll tell you, if you wanna have a good portfolio, you need to make your money work for you in the future. 30 years, think 30 years into the future. But I would tell you that that is too small of a vision. When it comes to our generosity, we shouldn't just think 30 years into the future. We shouldn't even be thinking just 20 years in the future. We should be thinking 20 billion years into the future. I'm storing up treasures in heaven because you know, this life is temporary. It is only but a moment and forever is a long time. And whenever we give to the Lord, we are sending our treasures ahead so we can enjoy them in the life that is to come. The fourth thing a bold giver would tell you is this, heaven, not earth, is my home. Philippians 3.20 writes it like this. Our citizenship is in where? Heaven. And from it we await the Savior of the Lord Jesus. One of the reasons that I think that many people are not bold when it comes to their giving is because they think more about earth than they think about heaven. Let's put in a little illustration for you. Let's say you're gonna go to uh, work out of town for three months and your company puts you up in in in, in an apartment. And you get into that apartment and you go, okay, What can I start changing? I'm gonna change the wallpaper here. I'm gonna get a new flat screen over here. I'm gonna get a plumber to come in and fix some of these pipes. We're gonna get the hot water going a little bit more. I think I'm gonna get all new bedspread. I I think, you know, I'm gonna, I don't like this door here. I'm gonna change it, move it over here. I'm gonna remodel this hole. Would you do that when you lived in a, when you lived in a hotel room? Well, no, why? Because that would be foolish, right? Why? Because you don't live there. This life is nothing but a hotel for saints. And many of us, we're trying to remodel and redecorate and we're trying to renovate something that doesn't actually belong to us. You're only here for a short while. Heaven is your home. And so when you give, what are you doing? You are moving and you are blessing and you are benefiting your eternal future. For from it, we await a savior. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is what bold people, no, I'm just passing through here. I'm just, I'm just on a journey. My real destination is waiting for me on the other side. The fifth thing a bold giver would tell you is this, is that giving is the only antidote for greed. You ever heard the, the saying? It says, the love of money is the root of all evil. You ever heard that? They say it on Twitter and YouTube and all the comments. I mean, people would be like, well, if, lo, if, lo, if, if the love of money is the root of evil, then why does the church ask for money if money is so evil? There go, the church must be evil. You ever heard that? Right? Well, that's actually not what the Bible says, so don't get your theology from YouTube. Because here's what the Bible actually says. For the love of money is the root of evil, and those who love it have been cursed by its pegs. What is it saying? Is that when people are obsessed with money, it brings destruction in their life. And for those who say, the love of money is the root of all evil, that's why I don't give, I would submit to you this, that you love more money more than other people do. Because you're so obsessed with it, you won't let it go. Listen, when it comes to greed, the reason why all the pain, problems, hurts, hardships, and the world today is because there is a greed within the hearts of men. It's what causes war, injustice, and famine. It's the reason that the city of Beaumont, um, over 30% of people here live in poverty. It's the reason for all of the addictions and crime. It's the reason for all the pains and hardships. There is a greediness that is inside of people, and it is generosity that breaks the back of of greed in a person's heart. This is how it happens. And for those of us, you know, you know why Redemption Church is a generous church? We give 10% of our resources away. Do you know why we adopted a school in South America? Do you know why we partner with the Hope Center? Do you know why we give benevolence to people who are in need? Do you know why we, we, we support church planting both locally and globally? Do you know why we do the things that we do? Do you know why last year we, we, we gave away um, $5,000 to a church planter as he was traveling through town? Do you know why we do the things that we do. You know why? Because we're greedy and we just want people's money. That's why we give it away so much. We're just so greedy. We just keep giving to people. No, here's the reason why. It's because money is a tool. That's all it is. And you will either use money to love people or you will use people to love money. You will either use money to love people. How do we love people? Well, we use money to be able to do that, to bless them, to resource them, to help them, to care for them, to provide for them, to give them the message of Jesus, to create a church where people can be loved and accepted. How do we do these things? Oh, we use money so we can love people, but we don't want to use people in order to fuel our love for money. Greed is broken when we learn to give. And the last thing is this, is that God raises my standard of giving. He does not raise my standard of living. This is what a generous person would tell you. Why are we blessed? Well, we're blessed so that way we could be more generous. That God raises our standard of giving, not just our standard of living. Here's how the Apostle Paul says it. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 11. He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase a harvest of righteousness. Why does God bless us? So that way we can be generous to others. Here's what God's looking for us in a church. In this season, God is wanting to take us and he's wanting to raise the standard of giving as a church. When you think about the gospel, when you think about the Lord Jesus, does he ever lower the standard or does he always raise the standard? He always raises the standard. 
He says in, in, in Matthew, he says, he says, you've heard it said, but now I tell you. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say anybody who looks and hates his brother is guilty of murder. So if we're looking at how Jesus is consistently raising the standard in believers' lives, then wouldn't it also be true that Jesus wants to raise the standard of our generosity as we grow in our relationship with him? Here's what God wants to do. God wants to, to raise the standard. Why does God in this season of our church want us to raise our standard of giving? Why does he want to do that? Because there are people who are depending on it. There are people who are depending on it. I, I love what Psalm 102 says as we come to a close. It says this. It says, let this be written for a future generation that people not yet created may praise the Lord. Do you know that there are people right now who don't even know it, but when you give and your generosity and your commitment to be bold, there are people right now who their forever will be changed because of your giving. My forever was changed in a church 15 years ago because someone gave to that church. And as they gave to that church, I gave my life to Jesus in that church. And somebody made that possible through their giving. I am a beneficiary of somebody else's boldness. You are a beneficiary of somebody else's boldness. We, as a church today, are a beneficiary of Barnabas's boldness 2,000 years ago. I mean, I'm grateful for Peter and John and their prayers and their bold prayers, but Barnabas, his obedience and his generosity is what fueled the mission of God for the next season of their church. And I believe that just like Barnabas, your generosity today it's gonna be what fuels the mission for the next 20 years here at Redemption. Amen. And here's the reason why, because the future doesn't just belong to the bold, but it depends on us. Yeah. I wish I could tell you when it comes to this new building that God, he just dropped a million dollars in our, in, in our bank account. That's not happened yet. But I do know that when God gave us the tithe, he gave us everything that we need to be able to accomplish the vision he set before us. When it comes to this new building, I wish I could tell you that angelic hosts of contractors came in here last night and they totally renovated that whole building and we don't have to do anything. But that's not what happened. It was Andrew Barnes and about you know, 15 other people who showed up and they broke a sweat and they started swinging some sledgehammers because God always works through people. And he wants to work through you when it comes to your generosity as well. So here's the question I wanna close with. If you're taking notes, write this down. Ashley, if you will come join me on stage. Because we're going to pray over you in just a minute as we get ready to close. But this week, under your chair, the same as last week, there's an envelope. If you look under your envelope, go ahead, under your chair right now, go ahead and grab that. If you grabbed one last week, go ahead and pull it out again. In this envelope, I, I wrote a letter. And there's a, a commitment card in this letter. And I, I challenged you is to take this sermon series and pray over that commitment card and say, ask this bold question, God, what would you have me to give? You read the story of Barnabas and you're like, I could never give like Barnabas. 
What did he do? He sold his field and his house and brought all the money to the church. That doesn't happen anymore. In fact, it actually does happen because we had this happen pretty recently here at our church. Just recently, there was a, a couple, they've been saving up to buy a house for quite some time and, and God put it on their hearts to take care of his house and he'll take care of theirs. And so they went and they cashed out their entire savings for the down payment of their home and they, they sowed it as an offering into the Bold Campaign. Wow. It happens. I tell you that because I want you to, to know we're in a great grace of God right now. We're in a great grace of God. And I would never look at that person and tell them that they're foolish for doing that. No, what I would tell them is thank you for your boldness in doing that. But I also know not everybody, some people might hear that and think, well, well, I could never do that, so I'm not gonna play a part. That's not true because God doesn't reward us based upon the size of our offerings, but on the sacrifice of our hearts. Because for some people, 10% is bold. For some people, 10% is a drop in a bucket. But wherever we're at, God is leading us as a church on a, on a journey towards boldness. So here's my question for you is, when it comes to your giving, I want you to ask this question this week. Who will be blessed because of my boldness? I'll tell you one of the reasons that I give, I, I give because I wanna, I wanna create a church for my daughters. I, I, when I give, I, I wanna create a church where the baptism never runs dry. I want, I, want, I want to be a part of a church where the altars are always filled. I want to be a part of a church where, where women who come here every single week and their husbands are still at home, I want to create a church for those men, a church where those men will come and sit next to their wives to where eventually I can see them with their hands raised high. I want to be a part of a church that empowers people, that believes the best in people. I want us to be a part of a church that sees lives changed. I want to be a part of a church that people who have given up on church find a place inside of this church. So when I give, that's what I'm giving to. I'm not giving to a building. I'm giving to what the building represents. What does the building represent? The building represents life change through Jesus. So this week, I, I want you to go home and I want you to read this. And I want you to ask, last week, the dangerous question was this, God, how much would you have me to give? And this week, the question is, God, who will be blessed because of my boldness? And step out in faith and be bold when it comes to your giving. If you would stand with us. If everybody who has one of the envelopes, if you would just hold up, I'm gonna pray over you guys right now as you, as you ask this question, God, how much would you have me to give? And God, who will be blessed because of my boldness? Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. God, for giving us this opportunity. We see the future and it is big and it is great and it is overwhelming and it is sometimes scary, but that's why you gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us, to inspire us, to motivate us and to give us the strength to step out in faith and to be bold. And so God, this week, as people are considering what it is that they would give, we pray that you would place a number in their mind and you would put joy in their heart as they step